comes to preach to us. Thank you, Pastor. Well, good morning. It's good to see you. It's a wonderful Michigan day, isn't it? Nice and brisk, and yet the sun is shining. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm grateful for the sun to shine. After a long winter of dreary clouds and gray overcast, it just... It just makes me feel like everything is going to be okay in this world, no matter what else happens. All right. So if you would open your Bible, please, to the Gospel of Luke chapter 24. The Gospel of Luke chapter 24. All of us, I suppose, are in a learning process about life. After... Most of the things were put away from the wild game supper last night. The teenagers began playing some basketball, and I essayed to join them. But all the time, my knee was hurting me. I, I injured my knee on a ski slope in Utah some years ago. And if I can ever get a hold of the ski instructor, the little Mormon 19-year-old ski instructor that told me to do that with my knee, I might just throttle him because... I, <laughs> I used to be able to hike for miles and miles and miles, and now there are times when, the, when I, I tried to do 20 miles in Washington, D.C. Not, not long ago, last year, and I can no longer do it because of the, the ski. And I can't ski either. I mean, if I'm going to hurt my knee, I might as well learn to ski, right? But no, it didn't work that way. I gave it all up when a six-year-old girl passed me with her hands on her hips doing this. I said, that's it, that's it. <laughs> I'm done. It's not the will of God for a southern boy to be on a ski slope. Amen. All right. I'm not ice fishing with you, and I'm not snow skiing with you. That's just the way it goes for me. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. Let's get into the Scripture. If you would direct your attention, please, to verse 13. Notice what the Bible says in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, and verse 13. The Scripture says, And behold, two of them went that day, or that same day, to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about threescore furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together in reason, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulchre. And when they found not his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulchre, and found it even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? I would invite you to keep your Bible open there during the Sunday school time, but join me if you would in prayer. Father, we need your help today, and I pray that you would help us as we look in this portion of Scripture. Help us to understand what's going on and help us to understand how it applies to our lives today. Speak to us, Lord. And I pray that you draw us closer to yourself. I pray that our Lord and Savior would be lifted up before our eyes today. 
We thank you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. These two men here on the road to Emmaus, if you were to talk to them, they would have told you that they had just completed the worst week of their entire lives. It began excitingly enough. It began as the the Master, the Lord Jesus, the Teacher, the one whom they had followed for these years, as He went and He told His disciples, I want you to go, and we would say, I want you to steal this colt. You're going to find this colt. No one has ever sat on this colt, this little donkey. And I want you to take him, and I want you to bring him to me. And if anybody comes out and says, hey, hey, wait a minute. That's my animal. What are you doing? If anybody says, what do ye loosing the colt? You just answer, the master hath need of him, and everything will be fine. So sure enough, here the disciples go. They go up, and they're, uh, they're, and if it were today, they would be hot-wiring somebody's car. And somebody comes out and says, hey, what are you doing? And they answered, they said, hey, we're taking this animal because the master hath need of him. Oh, okay, well in that case, go ahead. That's a miracle in and of itself. And so the Bible says they brought this animal. No one had ever sat on this animal before. Now, I don't know how much of you uh, work with beasts of burden. I would guess not a whole lot of you. Unless some of you women are thinking of your husband as your beast of burden. But otherwise, other than that, there's not a whole lot of beasts of burden that we deal with today. But it's a process before you can sit on this animal without him going absolutely crazy. And yet, when the Lord Jesus sat on this animal, this donkey on which no one had ever sat, there was no problem. They walked right in as if the colt had indeed been broken. And the Bible says that when the Lord Jesus began to ride in on this donkey... Now, can, can, can we stop and can we just imagine this in our minds? How many of you have ever ridden a donkey before? Can I see your hands? All right. <laughs> That's pretty typical. Not a whole lot of us have ridden donkeys. I'm going to tell you, if you put me on a donkey, it would be one of the most laughable things you've ever seen in your life. Because my feet drag the ground. Okay? There's a lot of horses that I can't ride. Because when I go to kick their sides, my heels click together and the horse turns and looks at me. What are you trying to get me to do? I don't understand. Help me out here. i got to have a great big horse in order to ride, in order for the horse to understand what I'm trying to get him to do. But the Lord Jesus is riding on a donkey. It, It looks a little bit laughable. Because a donkey is a lowly animal. It's the, it, it, it carries a, it, it's a servant of an animal. That's what it is. Kings ride on horses. Kings ride on mules in the Old Testament. But they don't ride on a donkey. And yet the prophetic significance was absolutely uh, paramount here. Because Zechariah had promised the Jewish people in the Old Testament, Thy king cometh unto thee. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Thy king is meek and lowly. And he cometh uh, riding upon an ass and a colt, the foal of an ass, the Bible says. He's not going to come on horseback. He's not going to come riding a chariot. He's not going to come on a mule. He's going to come riding a donkey. His feet are going to be mere inches off the ground. It's going to be a somewhat laughable sight. But make no mistake, when that happens, that is your king, O Israel, and he is coming in that way. And so when the Lord Jesus got on the donkey and he began to ride into Jerusalem, everybody there in that crowd understood what was going on. 
The Bible says they went up and they grabbed palm branches and they threw them in the way. They took off their outer garments and they threw, the, threw them in the way so that he's his, the feet of that animal would not have to step on the ground. Rather, it was stepping on a prepared way for that king to enter into Jerusalem. We refer to it as the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. What did they say? Well, they quoted from the Old Testament again. Save now, they said. That's the way it's translated in Psalm 118. In our New Testament, we have the Hebrew word, Hosanna! Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And wow, everyone was acclaiming that Jesus was the King of the Jews. He'd been preaching this and uh, seemingly he had been rejected as the King of the Jews. And now these men are in the crowd and they're, they're hearing the little children cry out. And they're, they're hearing everything and they're saying, wow, this is it. They are finally recognizing that Jesus is the King. And we're so excited and we're, 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 so, uh, we're so enthralled and enraptured. They're recognizing him for who he really is. The week began excitingly enough. But as it wore on, the Lord Jesus was in the temple. They were asking him questions, not trying to get information, but trying to trip him up in his talk and trying to, trying to pinpoint his authority and other different things that they were doing. And all of that early excitement was beginning to fade away again until the day came that he was in the place of prayer and one of his own disciples led the chief priests in to the place of prayer. They apprehended him. They took him from the place of prayer and took him to a court in the middle of the night. The Jewish court condemned him to die. They took him to the Roman authorities. The Roman authorities said, look, I find in him no fault at all. There's no reason why this man should die. And can you feel as these men are standing there and they say, well, if there's no fault in him at all, then let him go. They, uh, the, uh, a prisoner uh, uh, is going to be released at that feast. That's the way the Romans did it. And so here is a murderer and a, and a thief. And here is one called the king of the Jews. And, the, and Pilate says to the crowd, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? Pilate knew that for envy they had delivered him. And so the Bible says the chief priests go through and they persuade the crowd. Give us Barabbas and these men here. And they say, What? Barabbas is a robber. He's a thief. He's a murderer. He's a, in a sedition. He's, he's committed these wicked... And you want Barabbas instead of Jesus? And so Jesus is taken out and in the most horrific form of capital punishment ever devised, Jesus is crucified. His body is taken down. He's put in a tomb. They seal the tomb with Roman soldiers. There's a stone placed in front of the tomb and... Now what? These men are going down the road on this day. It's been the worst week of their entire life. And what they needed is what you and I need today. What they needed was for God to once again be the centerpiece of their lives. They needed to once again be in His presence and learn from Him. Now, when they, what they were accustomed to was being in the physical presence of Christ. And they were about to get that. What we are accustomed to is not the physical presence of Christ, but I want you to understand something. Their need is our need this morning. 
what they needed, you and I still need. And the Bible says, as they were walking along, the Lord Jesus, evidently just another traveler on the road, He just kind of came right along with them and He said, hey, let's have a conversation. He said, uh, what manner of communications are these that you have one with another as you walk and are sad? He said, man, gentlemen, it's very obvious that you are that you are sad. And so they, they went through the whole story. Jesus pretended that He didn't even know it. But notice what He says. He says to them in verse 25, Then said he unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Beginning of verse 25, and we're going to work our way down here in a moment. Beginning of verse 25, the Lord Jesus begins to work in their hearts and begins to bless them. And the presence of God changed these men on the road to Emmaus' day. I'm going to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. You and I need to be in the presence of God every day. We need to be there as we open the Word of God for ourselves and read it for ourselves. We need to be there as we come before God and pray and we bring our hearts requests before God in prayer. We need the presence of God. And you're going to find something. I think in our world today, we're so busy with so many things. It used to be when people, when Christian people would wake up in the morning, they would reach for their Bible. They would reach for their prayer list. Today, when Christian people wake up in the morning, God help us, we reach for our phone. And slowly but surely, the things in our lives have begun to take away from us that time-honored, priceless presence of God time where it's God and it is I and no one else is in the picture. And I want you to understand that when you and I come into the presence of God, there are blessings waiting for you and for me. Just as there were blessings waiting for these men here on the road to Emmaus. I'd like us to note some blessings that were waiting for them. Verse 25, we've read it. He said unto them, O fools and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into His glory? I want you to notice, first of all, when you and I come into the presence of God, the presence of God will expose sin. Do you see that there? It will expose sin. Now, what is happening? If you were to come to me and say, Brother Paul, I have just lived through the worst week of my entire life. The first words out of my mouth are not going to be to call you a fool. (laughs) That's not the way I would do it. But that's the way Jesus did it. Do you see that there? He looked at him and he said, Gentlemen, you're walking along and you're sad, but there's a spiritual problem. Oh, fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Can I tell you something? When you and I set the phone aside, when we set the computer aside, when the TV's off and the radio is silent, when we come into the presence of God, the presence of God is going to expose sin in your life and in my life too. You say, Brother Paul, that must not be a good thing. No, it's a one wonderful thing. Because when God exposes the sin, He gives me opportunity to get right with Him and to be clear and then to be able to have that conversation that we desperately need to have. And here on the road to Emmaus, the first thing He does is put His finger on a sin in their lives. It's the sin of unbelief. Oh fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into His glory? It's amazing to me. The Bible asks this question in Psalm 15. Lord, who shall abide in Thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in Thy holy hill? Those are words speaking of a special relationship with the God of heaven. And when God asks those questions, the answer is, He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in His heart. 
In Psalm 24, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall, or who shall dwell in His holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. I want you to understand, as we go through a, a wicked world, we live in, a, in the midst of a sinful world, and we are sinners ourselves by nature, and sin becomes part of us sometimes unwittingly, and when we come into the presence of God, God can put His finger on the sin and give us opportunity to make it right. I say to you that when we come into the presence of God, and God exposes sin. It is a blessing that waits for us there. He exposed sin. I want you to notice what the Bible says in verse 27. And beginning at Moses. That's an interesting statement. Beginning at Moses. Do you understand you can't get any more beginning than Moses? Okay. Moses was the fellow that wrote those words, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You can't get any more beginning than Moses. So that's where he started. Beginning at Moses and all the prophets. Well, that goes through much of the Old Testament. I mean, the prophets wrote the majority of the Old Testament. you got uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah and uh, Ezekiel and Daniel and the minor prophets that we call them. That's most of the Bible. That had been written unto this time. The Bible says, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures. Are we getting, are we getting the broad sweep of verse 27 here? He expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, I'm going to tell you, I have an education, a theological education, and I'm very grateful for. But I, I probably would have traded it all to have sat in this Sunday school lesson. Because the Lord Jesus went through the entire Old Testament and told them how it pointed to Christ. Now, let me tell you, uh, there are times when I read in the Old Testament and I struggle with some of the detail that's there. All right, let me give you an example. As I read in the book of Leviticus, there's a lot of detail given, right? The wave breast and the heave shoulder and uh, all of these things. Now, listen, maybe I'm just more carnal than the average person in Michigan, all right? But sometimes I read those things, and Brother Aaron, I scratch my head and I think, Lord, I know that all Scripture is profitable, but you got to help me here. How does this help me in the 21st century? Okay? Now, maybe you've thought that, maybe you haven't. Maybe if you have thought that, you're sitting there saying, I'm not going to let anyone know that I thought that. But the truth is, all the minutia of detail points to Christ. And maybe those two on the road to Emmaus were a little like me. Maybe they didn't quite understand how it pointed to Christ. But as they walked along and they were in the presence of God, there was a second blessing waiting for them there. Not only the blessing that that the presence of God will expose sin, but the blessing that the presence of God will expound the Scriptures. I want to make a statement to you today, a couple of statements that contradict each other, and I want you to get the, the, the meaning of what I'm trying to say. There is a sense in which you need the ministry of the Faustoria Baptist Church. If you live in this area, and I, maybe there's some visitors here, I don't know what church you go to on a regular basis, but I'm going to say this. If you're going to a church on a regular basis and they don't preach the Bible, excuse me, you're wasting your time. 
Okay? I don't mean to be unkind. I, the fact that your grandparents and all your family go there, I, I don't mean to slight that. But if you are going to a place and the Bible is not being preached every time you go, then you're just wasting your time. Okay? There's, there's really, I mean, you're go, maybe having a social experience, but, but you're not getting what you need. You see, you need the ministry of the Fostoria Baptist Church. All across this country, there is this movement among, among, well-meaning people many times, but this, this, this business of home church, Pastor, this home church thing. Well, our children are going, we're going to have church in our home. And usually it has something to do, it usually is motivated by something like this. Well, I had my children in a Sunday school, and into that Sunday school class came another child who swore in Sunday school. Do you know that some churches take a bus to the surrounding areas and they pick up children and bring those children in and sometimes those children talk about things they shouldn't? Yeah. Yeah. Matter of fact, this morning I was just kind of knocking around. I heard some people take a bus out, maybe two buses or three or four from this church. And you know what? We're going to go out and pick up some people And we're going to bring some boys and girls in, and from time to time, they're going to say things that they shouldn't say. From time to time, they're going to be mean. From time to time, they may let let a cuss word fly. It may happen. Well, my little cherubs aren't going to hear that in church. Well, they may, because we bring heathen people into this church. And we do so on purpose. Because we believe that the the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God to change them from who they are by nature into what they can be by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I was out just uh, last Thursday, and uh, the, the, the youth pastor of our church, he told me, he said, Brother Paul, I believe in bus ministries. Had it not been a bus ministry, uh, for a bus ministry, I would probably have never been saved, and I certainly would have never been grounded in the Word of God, and I, I would have never met my wife. But he said, all of that happened because of... A bus came to my house one day and picked me up out of a broken home and brought me into the house of God where I could hear the scriptures. And I want to tell you, there are some people that in an overreaction to that have said, I want to remove my children from any of of those uh, influences. I want to get them out of that. Therefore, we're going to have church at our home. And listen, they may be well-meaning, they may be well-intentioned, but they are hurting their family. I don't care if it is your son, I don't care if it's your nephew, I don't care who it is. The home church movement is not going to work because that person, no matter how well-meaning he may be, is not a God-called shepherd. You need a shepherd. I need a shepherd. We use a different word. We use the word pastor. That's what it is. It's a shepherd. You need the pastor. I need the pastor. We need his preaching and teaching ministry. We need that in order to, in order to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. According to Ephesians chapter 4, God has gifted men and he has gifted those men to us as humanity so that we could grow with the end result that we would be mature in Jesus Christ. So you rip your family out of the local church, that's fine, that's your prerogative, it's a free country, but you're dooming them to spiritual immaturity. Because you need the preaching and teaching ministry of a God-called shepherd. I do too. But now wait a minute. There's a sense in which you do not 
need? The church. Because if the only time you ever open your Bible is when you sit under the ministry of your pastor, you are hurting yourself spiritually. While it is necessary for you to sit under his preaching and teaching ministry, it is necessary. It is also necessary for you to come before God as a believer priest and to begin to understand by the leading of the Holy Spirit what the Bible means and how God can speak to you. Listen to the prayer of the psalmist in Psalm 119 and verse 18. Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Let me tell you, that's a prayer that we ought to pray often because the Holy Spirit of God wants to speak to you. He wants to speak to you as the pastor preaches. Absolutely, that is right. That is proper. But he also wants to speak to you on a one-on-one basis as you open the Bible for yourself. I wonder, could it be that some of the Lord's people here under the sound of my voice this morning, there was a time when your time with God was sacrosanct. Nothing got in the way of it. But as, the, as busyness has come into your life and, and as, as things have piled up and responsibilities have multiplied, you no longer have that priority on your time with God. I say to you, when you get into the presence of God, we're going to find that in the presence of God, the Lord will expose sin. But I say to you, He will expound the Scripture and cause us to understand and cause us to to realize some things. I want you to notice, the the Bible goes on, notice verse 28, and they drew nigh unto the village, whither they went. And he, Jesus, made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, oh, no, no, abide with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. You You don't travel after dark in that period of time. It was just dangerous. People would hide in the dark, highwaymen and so forth. The day was far spent, they said. Come in. And, uh, and, and, uh, and so he went in to tarry with them, verse 30. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and break and gave to them. Now notice verse 31. And their eyes were opened. Do you see that? Now understand, when it says their eyes were opened, it is not speaking of their physical eyes. They were not blindly walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. They were not doing that. When it says their eyes were opened, it's speaking in a figurative sense. Suddenly, they saw something and understood something that they had not previously seen or understood. Now, I say to you that in the presence of God, yes, the presence of God will expose sin. It will expound the Scripture. But I say to you, thirdly, it will expand the sight. You notice, they didn't see what was going on. Now, now think with me. Think with me for a minute. These people had lived through the greatest events in all of human history up to this point in time. And up to our point in time, too. How many of us have been reading the Scripture at one time or another and have maybe had this thought, I wish I could have seen the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. I wish I could have seen the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Maybe you've thought that, maybe you haven't, but the truth is, none of us got to live through it. But they did. The greatest events in all of human history up to this point in time and up to our day as well, they live through them all. But you know what? They're a whole lot like we are. Sometimes we live through great things and don't even realize it. That's the way they were. They had lived through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and yet they didn't comprehend what it all meant until they came into the presence of God. 
And all of a sudden, as they were walking with God, as, as He was talking with them, as they were listening, all of a sudden, the Bible says the presence of God expanded their sight. They began to comprehend things that they had not comprehended before. They understood what was going on. And can I tell you something, ladies and gentlemen? There will be times in your life that you will face things. You will live through them. It will not make sense. You won't be able to comprehend what's going on until you come into the presence of Almighty God. And you're going to find, you can, you can watch Oprah all you want to, reruns of her show. I don't, I don't guess she's on TV anymore. You can tell how much I watch TV, I suppose. But uh, you, can, you can watch uh, Dr. Phil or, or whatever you want. You can, you can read the Reader's Digest articles and all, all you want. And it's not going to explain and uh, meet the need of your heart. As a matter of fact, I have met many people who have come to an impasse in life and they have said, you know, God was supposed to have been there for me, but for whatever reason, He was not there. Therefore, I don't have anything to do with God today. But you know what, ladies and gentlemen, there are going to be times when you're not going to understand until you come into the presence of God. It's been 13 years ago, excuse me, 12 years ago, 11 and a half years ago, I was preaching in upstate New York. I have a son, my oldest son, Josiah. He's a very fun-loving young man. He's a joy to be around. But he has some, some allergies. He has some food allergies that are life-threatening. He has nearly died of anaphylaxis on more than one occasion. And sometimes we understand his allergies, and sometimes we do not. We happen to be in upstate New York, and... and um, my, my son was having a problem with breathing. We didn't know what the problem was. And as far as we could tell, it was nothing that he had eaten. And so it can only be explained by some sort of airborne thing. We had no idea. But in those days, it was rather common for me to take my son to the emergency room. There in the emergency room, they would administer different medications to him that I could not carry with me on the road. And, and so... Usually we would stay for a period of hours, maybe four, six, eight hours, something like that. He would stabilize, and then they would send him back home. That, that happened in many places. You've seen the RVs. They, they have a sticker for every state that they've been. For a time, I considered putting a sticker for every state where we've been in the hospital. I thought, I thought that would be interesting, but I, I abandoned that idea. At any rate, we've been in the hospital in many different places. And so upstate New York, uh, my son was having a hard time breathing, and so I just took him into the emergency room thinking, we'll just be there a few hours. The next morning, I was to fly out to western Nebraska for two meetings there, and then I would rejoin my family there in upstate New York. But as the night wore on, and he was under the care of the physicians in the emergency room, my son did not get better. He got worse. In the wee hours of the morning, I had to leave approximately 5 in the morning to get to the airport on time, and I began to be faced with a decision, what am I going to do? And so after seeking counsel from my pastor and after uh, just examining the, 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 the Word of God and just praying it over, I, I felt like I needed to keep my, my commitment to these men in western Nebraska, and, and so I, I, I traded places with my wife. She came to the hospital and our little daughter, our infant daughter, Abigail, at the time, was sent to home with the pastor's family. He already had six kids. I figure one more. What, it probably won't make any difference at that point. But we sent her home with them. As for me, I got on a plane and went to western Nebraska. My wife was there at the hospital with our son. We didn't know what was going to happen. 
And you know, the Lord, the Lord worked it out miraculously had it not been for our proximity to Albany, New York, and the Albany Medical Center there. We pro- our son probably would have been killed by medical error. And I don't have time to go into all of the, all of the ramifications of that, but I want to tell you, it taught me to pray for people that are under medical treatment. Because as well-meaning and as well-trained as medical professionals are, they are not all-knowing. And doctors in Saratoga, New York, came close to killing my son. They had the good sense to realize that something was wrong, so they put him on an ambulance and took him just a few miles south to Albany, to the Albany Medical Center, where my son was in pediatric intensive care for six days. Had it not been for modern technology and the ability of a ventilator to breathe for him, he would have died. And so I, I landed in western Nebraska. It was one of those times when the airline lost my luggage. That's always fun. Sent it to Singapore when I was going to, to Nebraska. and So I, I landed basically with my Bible and the clothes on my back. And so the, there were some some things that we had to do before I would go, and I was supposed to be preaching an hour away from the airport, and I finally got to where I was supposed to go. It was the month of October, and, and all of these things at every connecting flight, because there is no direct flight from upstate New York to western Nebraska, at every connection, I would call my wife, I would get a new update, and the updates were not good. And so that night, before I went to bed, I was sleeping in the basement, a bed in the basement of the pastor's house, and I walked out. We were on a dirt road there. We were on a section where people didn't think you could, even cows could live at one time. And so we were, as we were going down the road, I just began to pray. I said, Lord, you've got to do something for me. You've got to do something for my son. There was, earlier in my life, we had already buried another son. Nobody expects to do that. But the Lord had already called upon us to do that. And I said, Lord... I don't know what you have in store for my son, but I would humbly ask that you would spare his life. We got back to the pastor's house. We again knelt by the bed there in the basement and we again prayed. I've heard people say, when I got up from my knees, I knew everything was going to be okay. That wasn't my experience that particular night. But I will tell you this, when I rose from my knees, having prayed all down the road and prayed with the pastor, there was a peace in my heart that no one could ever explain. You see, the peace of God passes human understanding. It goes beyond our ability to comprehend. And the Bible says that peace will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That peace is only available when we spend time with God. It's only available then. And I'm happy to report to you that God did in fact touch my son and raised him up despite all the contraindications of the medication he was being given. And, and, and eventually he, he, he has grown now. He's 16 years old and God is using him in our ministry now. I'm grateful for that. But I want you to understand, I, call, I had to understand that I can only see things clearly as I come into the presence of God. So it was with these men. Let's continue on. The Bible says, verse 31, their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us 
while he talked with us, by the way, and while he opened to us the Scriptures, we're going to find in verse 32 there's another blessing of being in the presence of God. We find in verse 25 that it exposes sin. Verse 27 that it expounds the Scripture. Verse 31 that it expands the sight. And verse 32 we find that it expels the sorrow. These men said we were walking along and all of a sudden our heart began to burn within us. Notice our heart did not burn within us while we heard some song on, the, on, our, on our phones. Our, our heart did not burn within us while we listened to some Christian comedian. But our heart burned within us while He opened to us the Scriptures as He was talking with us by the way. And you know, there was something about it when He opened the Scriptures and God was working in our hearts. And you're going to find that when you and I come into the presence of God, it expels the sorrow. And let me tell you, there are going to be times when we go in with a burdened heart. Oh, how many times have I seen this? In a revival prayer meeting, the Lord's people gather together with burdens on their hearts. And they pray and say, Lord Jesus, as we lift our request before you, may we pray in the Holy Ghost. May we pray in the power of the Spirit of God. And so they come and they allow the Spirit of God to direct the request before Him. And so many times we lay out our needs and we lay out our burdens at the throne of grace. And the Spirit of God transitions us from petition into praise. What has just happened? Well, in the presence of God, the presence of God begins to expel the sorrow of our hearts. And ladies and gentlemen, the presence of God that did that for these men will do the same for you as well. As we come before Him, my, my grandmother's favorite verse was 1 Peter 5 and verse 7. Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. Let's go on. There's one more thing that I would like to notice that the presence of God did for these men. The Bible says in verse 33, they made a very momentous decision. They rose up the same hour. You didn't travel at night, but that's exactly what they were going to do. They rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem. They just came from Jerusalem. They turned around and went right back. The Bible says, They rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in the breaking of bread. Ladies and gentlemen, the presence of God exposed sin in these men's lives. The presence of God expounded the Scripture. It expanded the sight. It expelled the sorrow. But I want you to understand that when they were done spending time in the presence of God, they had a new ability, the ability to exhort the saints, an ability to minister to other people. Here were men that were questioning the resurrection. They had unanswered questions. The, the women had given them reports, but they had gone to the, 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 the sepulcher. They had seen the sepulcher, but it wasn't what they thought it was going to be. They hadn't seen Jesus. The, some people said they had seen Jesus. Others said, no, we haven't. What is true? What is going to become of us? We're sequestered in an upper room here. We're afraid of the chief priests. We're afraid of the Romans. I don't know what's going to happen. And into that setting step two men. And those two men have a fire in their soul kindled by time having been spent in the presence of God. And those two men come before these, uh, the, these, these uh, huddled men, these uh, frightened men, and they have a message. They, have, they say to them, understand this, the Lord is risen indeed. And He has appeared unto us. Let me tell you about how it happened. 
And suddenly, yet another witness to the power of God fell upon the ears of frightened disciples. Let me tell you, it is time that we as believers come to grips with the fact that all of us are God's servants that He wants to use. Wherefore, strengthen the hands that hang down and the feeble knees, the Bible says. And that's not given to pastors, that's given to Christians. Do you know God wants you to have a ministry today? God wants all of us to be able to serve Him today, but it's not going to be possible until we spend time in the presence of our God. There are blessings waiting for you in His presence. Will you take time to set everything else aside and say, I will be with my Lord. Lord and Heavenly Father, I've taken a lot of time today in Sunday school. I want to say thank you for the opportunity to preach. I pray that you would use the message in this Sunday school time. Also, Father, would you use use the time that we have in the morning service And I pray for the hand and power of God upon us as we endeavor to serve you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.